Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Liberty Squadron Podcast. My name is Andrew Lewinsky and this week I am joined with Marshall Staggs. Hey everyone. Chris Apple. Hello. And Zach Cady. Hey, hey, hey. Alright everybody, we are back for another episode. We've got a couple of things that we we're going to talk about. Um, first thing being, we I wanted to touch base with this with our Patreon rewards and all this C&D stuff that's been coming out with Disney. I'm not going to get too much into details about it. But what I will say about it is that our Patreon is not changing. All Any kind of rewards will be... Um, they're not really rewards. I would just say swag that will be included with thank you notes from us. So any kind of rewards that you get will be you know, in the form of thank you notes and maybe some... you know cards or something might be slipped in there with anything like that but you're not paying for that you're paying for that thank you note and helping us support the podcast um so if you're not familiar about that little note that ffg put out i'm sure it's like all over the place so keep your eyes open for that but like i said nothing's changing on our end of uh, what we're going to be shooting out um other than that we have some hyperspace trials that we're going to talk about the system open in italy wave four spoilers um probably the worst ship in the game maybe talon bane um (laughs) i don't know if i want to go that deep into it because he's won me some games and he's showed up in cuts recently but uh, i mean we're still going to argue it so why don't we shoot right into the indiana hyperspace trial um yeah sure yeah mark myers I just want to jump in on this one because it's um, I, I, I think Mark is a listener um, and I may have oh. talked to him a couple of weeks ago before the tournament but he uh, he ended up going 5-1 and one with Poe which is awesome and it's like a non-traditional Poe list it's just BB-8 Poe with Lulo and Snap Wexley um, so just a moment of appreciation for that because it's kind of badass right? Nice. Yeah I mean like Poe has been like a topic recently of like why just isn't he showing up like in any of like the formats especially in like resistance like it's you hear about like five a's but like i'm really kind of shocked that poe is not showing up yeah and and, like we barely have heard from bb8 poe um it feels like for weeks so um you know the amount of lift that that poe has to do in the list is it's significant right um maybe maybe that's why people shy away from it like can you can you do well with the right matchups and the correct poe play i don't know if you can do it consistently right now off the top of your head, can anyone tell me what Temin Wexley does as his pilot ability? Ooh, after you execute a speed three or four maneuver, you can perform a free boost action. It is a two to four, but that is two to four. Yeah, okay. close enough. And I'm surprised you know that if you didn't just look it up. <laughs> um, I liked him in 1.0 a lot, and okay. I knew that I knew that he didn't change that much. I knew he had basically the same ability. But uh, I mean, yeah, he's cool. Um, I like that he's in this list. It's got like built-in afterburners, but like weird. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, and then I think he was running it with composure as well, which is kind of it makes logical sense given the ability. Yeah, composure and R two. Yeah, yeah, that's actually uh, really interesting because then you could try to fail that that boost and then get that uh, double mod off. Right. Oh, yeah. Sure. And at at I four, it's also you know that's a really decent initiative level for a ship like that with that much health and that kind of mobility. So. I feel like in a couple of weeks, everyone's going to be looking for alternatives to Lulo, right? Um, and and alternatives to a, to A wings. Yeah. So maybe this is maybe he's kind of onto something here. Either way, um, it's super fun at minimum. Yeah, all the T seventy pilots are cool. 
Yeah, that's definitely something I'll take a look at. Because um, I have to finally pick up my resistance conversion kit because I haven't done it yet. And I'm super looking forward to this next wave. But let's get into the Italy system open. Uh, so the winner was running Rebel Beef with Wedge. Two I2Bs, a Yubang. So, and then the runner-up also had two initiative... Two I, I think, I think and, it may have just been initiative. one ITB, yeah. uh, I2B, B-Wing. Sorry, Andrew. Yeah, I'll reading your notes wrong. is awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to learn Chris's code. It's like reading like uh, like college notes. It's great. Uh, but yeah, no, it's... We're, we're, I mean, everyone's kind of predicting that like the B-Wings are going to go up in price, especially the named B-Wings. But I mean, there's still something to look at with those... with. Just the generics and like they're they're good. I mean, a lot of hull, and they three dice primary. Yeah. I'm all for it. And they're only, uh, you know, they're only 41 points right now. So I think part of the key here is that they're they have room for the hull upgrade. Um, but but even then, I, I think you know these things aren't going to increase so much that they won't be possible to use. So I'd be shocked uh, if the generics even do go up in price, but. Yeah, that it raises a question, right? About what what is a, a a wholesome beef list look like? Um, and what what is what is FFG's goal with the faction, right? Because it's obviously it's a little bit of an outlier with Cassian and Braylon and Leia combined, but they'll probably try to find that sweet spot of of you know keeping the archetype viable um, and maybe just kind of reducing the initiative slightly. Uh, going into the top four, though, I, I really want to like go give this props is the quad K wings. I don't think people are really kind of picking up on that, and I yeah, we might be sleeping on K wings a little bit. I think there's something to because these are barrage seismic K wings, right? Uh, Proxmines usually. Proxmines, okay. Um, right, but even still, that gives you like a 360 degree arc, uh, essentially. Yeah, that's pretty good. So yeah, I, I think people are sleeping on these. I know some people were talking about like, oh, I don't think anyone's running them because I don't want to buy four K wings. But I mean, like, just uh, that it's something that like you should really look at, and it's probably a fun list to fly when it you know comes down to it. Like these things, they can still slam. They can basically take up all the space because they're now medium bases. They can bump. They can do all this fun stuff. So it's really something that I would take a, a peek at. I don't know how much fun it, it is to play against um, with the 270, but sure. it's they, they do take damage now. The problem is that as you do damage, they kind of piece out, so you're never able to really focus fire. Um, and as, as we talked about last week, they're pretty damn good blockers, and they take up a huge amount of space with those medium bases. But I, you know, it's not the kind of thing where it's like as soon as they nerf quad phantoms, is quad K wing is going to replace that? I, I've seen grumblings about that. I don't quite believe it. That doesn't. I, I, I can't imagine that happening. But it's it's consistently showed up in cuts. Um, so if it isn't touched, it's one of those lists you look at as you know it'll probably still be around. Yeah, I, I don't think K wings are on FFG's radar anytime soon. So right. I mean, maybe when Angle Deflectors comes out, possibly. I was just thinking about what if we gave them a reinforce action. Yeah, but then you're um, missing the um, focus token for but, the barrage rockets. Oh, so yeah. yeah, maybe that's not there. But I mean, like K wings, maybe like something like Miranda might benefit from that. Um, maybe, maybe not. All right, so moving on though, top eight, uh, Corn Horn. We just had I had a little 
rant about this before we started recording, but Corrin Horn is definitely something to take a look at. Like, I think people with the Ewings are, like, still thinking they're way too high, but it plays that game that you can get Corrin easily up to the 90-point range. And if you want that, like, ace, that high points ace, like, he is it. Like, he that dial is literally amazing. You throw R4 Astromech on him. Um, I'm not even talking about Han being in the rest of this list, but like just Corn in general, like he puts in so much work and I think people need to start taking a look at that. So the the ship ability, right, of allowing for the range three and beyond lock, um I, I think that it gives value to the other ships and you know, on the chassis as well, right? The other pilots. Uh, it really comes down to a proton tour alpha strike, though, right? Like, let's be real here. Like that, what this is and the reason it could possibly be good is because of proton torps. Um, if you took the proton torp away from Corin, like then you start to wonder where, what it would be. Um, so, I, you know, it's 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 maybe not even just Corin to look at, right? It's it's the whole chassis if if FFG reduces it. Right. Um, so I was looking at the like. All right. So the pilot ability of what is it, Garvin? It's uh, he's in the wrong ship because it's like the if you have someone in your arc, uh, a friendly ship can change a hit to a crit result, which is cool, but like not in a ship that's going to be you're going to be investing points into. But uh, yeah, yeah, definitely not, not for 61 points at I4. Like, yeah, if I compare I, it with I, Bosk, ability is not that great. Yeah, if you compare it with Bosk, sure. <laughs> well, uh, you sure go ahead. Like, what? <laughs> You mean like generating crits? Yeah, I'm messing around. Or, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. If you want to throw Garvin, or I'm pretty sure it's Garvin, uh, and Epic, that's great. Yeah. But I mean, like, and but the generics are yeah. definitely something to take a look at too. Um, I think they might be priced a little bit high. I'm still very high on Corin being the i5, and uh, if you throw FCS on him, a lot of times you don't even need to spend that lock. You just reroll that one dice uh, with that proton torp, and then you can save the lock for maybe the double tap, or when you are getting out of dodge with them, keeping that lock and you know focusing up instead of or even evading. Uh, I'm very high on the E wings right now, so yeah, I think it just need to take a look. It doesn't make any sense that an I two E wing is 54 points and an I one X wing is 41 points, or an I two X wing is 41 points. Like that's. They, they pay know. the green it's, price, right? Yeah, they, it's, they so, the it's so rough. Yeah, I, yeah. That, I guess that's what it is. And, and that um, being able to target lock past range three is huge. But I, I'm like I said, I I'm, yeah. But X wings have the S foils. I feel like that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, the, I think maybe really comes out of that agility right guys. Yeah, like, if, I think it's the green die. Think, silencers yeah. are in the same position. FFG very takes takes three green dice very seriously and especially when you pair it with high hp yeah. so i i don't i've spent so much time testing the silencers and i still think that the non-kylo ones could be reduced in cost slightly but um you know maybe maybe the e-wings are in a similar boat where they're 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 yeah, paying slightly the, more than they should for that i don't know i don't know the ship ability is good sure yeah the ship ability it's, is very there's good no, there's no doubt one of the things that it's kind of like when I was looking at the ship ability, if you're not familiar, they have a boost and barrel that link both into a target lock. So it's one of those like dogfighty ships that you kind of want to just like shoot, like get that first double mod off 
and then get the heck out of there. Like you just want to zoom out, make sure that you're not getting shots again. And then you can start doing like the boost uh, into lock or the barrel into lock to get out of arcs or anything you need to do and set up that next shot again. Um, so it, I think it's a certain play style. Like it's not a ship that you just joust, K turn, shoot again. Like it, it, it's something different. It's a, it requires a little bit of patience. Um, so, uh, like I, I think it's good if you can pick that skill up and go with it. Definitely, it spends more time disengaging than a normal ship. And as we know, the average X Wing player is not playing X Wing to disengage. Sure, so, you know, right. so that's that's a big part of it. And then we've talked about this in the past, but I don't think those linked actions are very good or useful for the chassis. No, like, not like that. Like those those linked actions, they you kind of. I, I wonder if they're paying slightly more for those as well. It's hard to say. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's move on from that. Um, six and O's, we had quad U-Binks, which is interesting. I, I don't think I'd ever see, think to see that in a six and O list. It was at Nyack. I played against it once or twice. I, all I'll say is it's kind of miserable to play against. I, it's, it just fortresses on one side of the board, walks up and down, and then comes comes into the middle when you're ready. <laughs> like, it's... It's fine, I guess. It's just a bunch of turrets, right? And then they yeah. they, they fortress within rules um, and catch some people out. Yeah, not something that I wouldn't try out. Yeah, something to keep an eye on, but yeah, it's time for four U wings versus four lambdas. Let them fight. <laughs> I feel like the uh, I feel like the lambdas have a better shot with that one. You think? Yeah, they can like coordinate each other, and don't they have reinforce? This, like, this sounds like something that requires testing. I, I bet Leia, yeah, I Leia like makes it. Have you seen uh, Yeah, Leia is a big help there. Sorry, what's Zach. Up? What's up, man? Have you seen four Lambdas go 6-0, and o, Marshall? I haven't, but... Maybe it's time you do if, it. If anyone's going to do it, it's not. It, it will not be me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if I have one Lambda, let alone yeah. four of them. Yeah, um, but... <laughs> you can fit all of them. You can fit all the named lambdas, and you have some room. Space I, what guys. I'm saying is, I think we need to try. No, we don't. <laughs> okay, we yeah. Let's move on to wait for spoilers. Marshall, you're excited for this. Uh, we had Australia get their stuff early, but not really. Yeah. And um, we, but we got everything revealed out of all these blister packs. So, Marshall, what are you excited about out of this? Because I know you are. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm. It's. I, I would not go so far as to say that I'm excited about the resistance transport um, because I think it's just weird, uh, and I, I appreciate that that resistance is going to have a, uh, you know, a small base support ship, um, but I don't think any of the pilot abilities are particularly good, um, and unless it's super cheap, unless it's like. Uh, you know, scum escape pod cheap. I don't. I don't think I'm gonna like start trying to like work it into resistance lists because it, that those points could just be an A wing or something. Like, there's not. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's gonna be super effective on the table, except probably as a carrier for Holdo. Um, so if you don't know, if you didn't see all the leaks that came out of Australia, um, so Emilian Holdo is a crew card. Um, and uh, it reads, before you engage, you may choose another friendly ship at range one to two. Uh, you may transfer to that ship one token of a type that that ship does not have. And then it can give that ship can give you a type of uh, token that you don't have. Um, so, yeah, I think 
we were talking about, you know, this is good for Poe. Um, this might be good for like, um, you know, resistance YTs. Well, I so, think personally, so, depending on like if you can, if the thing it's riding on can keep up with the ship that it's, you know, supporting, um, which might be a problem. But yeah, go, but no, Marshall, why why is why would it be good for Poe? Like, get into that a little bit. Oh yeah, so well, we were talking about. Um, so Poe has to get a stress um, to use his ability, uh, and whatever ship is carrying Holdo can just pull that stress off at the beginning of the engagement. So Poe can. You know, Poe, it opens up Poe's dial and it, um, you know, it, it gets rid of one of the main problems as to why I don't think we see him well, that much. Um, yeah, but sorry, but not, it's not at the beginning of engagement, though, right? It's it's before the ship that has hold of engagement. Oh, it is before the engine. Okay. Right, yeah, which yeah. is significant because that means mm-hmm. um, what's the highest initiative shuttle? Is it four? Oh, I had not considered that, actually. Um, yeah, that, that does make a big difference. Yeah, so the okay. resistance, the highest initiative resistance transport is four. Which means you look at three. Han or you look at Ray immediately, yeah. right? Because then, then with Han No, that's Rey, a great point. Yeah, um, because I feel like Han does. I I don't know if how often Ray winds up with an empty crew slot. Like I think you'd rather have Finn and Rose, or like Finn and or Rose. Um, but yeah, with Han, I mean Han does not ha- Han doesn't need any specific upgrades. I don't think it's um, tricky, right? Because it's like well, as soon as you put it on Han, you kind of need Han's offense and you need Han's mobility a little bit. So, do you want him to have a stress? And like that Falcon style isn't super blue, as far yeah. as I remember. Um, but you can run like C three PO on Han and I six coordinate, get two calculates, use Holdo, or like pass one, yeah, right. You can uh-huh. pass a calculate and remove a stress. I there's something there. Yeah. So okay. So I'm like I'm slightly less excited now that you read the card correctly for me, which I, <laughs> <laughs> I have not done. Step one, um, read the card. Yeah, you do have to actually read the card to, to, to know how it works. But, okay, so, yeah, so I think on on a shuttle, it's good for, like, pulling stress off A-Wings or pulling stress off Poe. Um, we were talking about how you can use it to pull a weapons disabled po- token off Poe after he slams. Uh, that's obviously not going to help you uh, at I-4. But what if you did something on, like... On. So with Lulo, you like were able to shoot with Lulo and then pull the stress off of Lulo. So yeah, that totally you had the three dice attack and then a three dice agility. Yeah, that sounds great. Right. I mean, at, at minimum on Poe, like the stress relief is a game changer because he he's been playing a fairer game than the rest of the aces, sort of because is without you know, like against Jedi, you just don't bother, right? And R four is sort of stapled to Poe. So it raises some questions as to, you know, even if you think about BB-8, right? Like BB-8's value skyrockets when you have prime thrusters. And the reason for that is because when you end a turn stressed, you can't do it again. And that feels super bad. So yeah. if you can end a turn after doing BB-8 without paying 10 freaking points for prime thrusters, which lets you do it while stressed, like that just turns like the initial engagement and the immediate aftermath into some like nonsense where Poe is going to be able to do some super cool stuff. Yeah, um, and I think the only problem is that, at least with a resistance transport pod, I, I think the trick really only works. Oh, you can't, well, you wouldn't be able to coordinate. I was saying, like, if you coordinate, it's red. Um, so if you're if you're taking post, oh, you wouldn't be able to take post stress, so it wouldn't matter because it's a token you already have if you're stressed. Um, so, so 
the the whole coordinate thing. I guess that really only works on Han, um, unless you also want to take TAC officer on the resistance transport, which I guess you right. can do. So um, I, we've talked about this in the past, though, right, man? Where it's like the the list that I think we're staring right at is Poe, Ray, or Han, and room for a shuttle, right? Like, yeah, is that maybe. is that possible? Will FFG let us do a a three ship thing like that? So. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> All right, so I, I, I've been as soon as I saw Pizza Bot PZ for what is it, CO? The first thing I noticed was that he has the adds the calculate action to your action bar, right? So, no. oh uh, yeah, yeah, it's calculate. Yeah, right, I thought you were still part of it. Yeah. So, with that being said, I've been waiting for C three PO to be able to calculate something across the board. So, if you get Resistance Han. And put the PZ4CO on him, and then you get a rebel or the resistance transport, and just throw it in the corner. You can calculate Poe or not Poe Han from anywhere on the board that you want. So you could literally just throw Han right into the mix right off the bat, and have this basically a coordinate battery just doing whatever you wants to Han as he's basically like throwing on the engage. And like you gotta think that this resistance. Uh, shuttle is going to be safe from the fight for whatever. And, like the question is, is what can that other third ship be that could just s- basically slam in there and help Han as quickly as he can? Like that might be interesting. Like I said, I, I know I've been talking about this in the group a little bit, but it almost feels like it could be like shades of old Dengaru that Manaru would just sit in a corner and do her magic on Dengar, where you know she never actually saw the fight where Dengar literally just kind of like walloped everything by getting the support from her. So I, I really want to test this out once we get the points to see how like I can try to abuse that to the most that I can. can yeah, we... I'm, re- I'm really surprised that they they included a non-range restricted ability. I think that's always kind of playing with fire. Right. Um, can we take a moment to appreciate um, uh, BB-8 and like the b-wing battle pod like what what is that thing like it's just like the top of a b-wing and maybe it's so. like running it <laughs> yeah, why not? like um so I, like I, I think that at minimum is gonna fit you know in a bunch of lists because it's so cheap potentially right like who knows but it's just like a little little ship that takes damage and dies immediately the bigger shuttle is is pretty tanky actually if you look at it um so that that, that you probably won't be able to get access to in some you know these double ace lists maybe not um, but and, like, do we look at the shuttle as the resistance lambda? Is that what we should be thinking? That that bigger one. Um, um there, like, is that just what this is? It's just it's resistance gets a a lambda like a yeah, it's a it's a U wing or it's a it's a hawk. It's you know whatever. Um, like, is the escape craft the wrong comparison? I guess is what I'm I'm getting at. Like the little one, I get it. That's an escape craft, but the bigger yeah. one, that's kind of a U wing, right? Yeah, it's small base, though. I mean, I think the only thing you really look at it for, I don't know, and maybe I don't have like a full understanding of what the pilot abilities are, but I feel like you look at it as a coordinate caddy, um, whereas I feel like a Lambda does actual damage and can contribute to the fight. Fair. Um, yeah, I, I'm only saying that because it's got 8 uh, HP, right? Like, that's the... That's the oh, point. is it that beefy? I guess it is yeah. that beefy. Yeah, because it's um, it's one agility, eight, eight, eight HP. So it's like closer to the, just being a B wing with. It's like a support B wing, like Zach's been mm-hmm. saying. Oh, Zach, are you gonna fly four of these things at PAX? 
Absolutely not. It is the dumbest <laughs> ship I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I'm like the little resistance pod. Like I might be into that, but the other, the transport, I'm I'm out on. Like I don't even think you disgust me. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I, I, like I said, I'm just. It, it does not appeal to me at all. Like, sure, it's eight health, two dice attack, but I'm just I don't see any shining moments through it. I yeah, for me it'll depend on how um how things shake out with the types of lists that this enables for resistance. So if I end up with like a three T seventy BB eight list, that's fine. Like that sounds just like a blast, you know? Like I yeah. it, it's hard for me to hate on that. Um you know, it's I the, the concept of uh, you know, like will the smaller transport pod really just be a tag along to to set something better up to win? Yes. <laughs> so hating yeah. on that's fine. Yeah. yeah. It has jam. Do we care about that? Why does it have jam? That it's it's so weird. Who cares? I'm over it. I'm done. <laughs> um, do we want to talk anything about the N one? Any of you guys are excited what they revealed with that? Not crazy excited. The N one looks amazing. I think it's uh, I'll leave it at the every Republic ship that they add seems good or useful right away. I think this will be in the same category. Padme from plus uh, Luminara is kind of crazy. So and then just like the, the actual ship chassis itself has all kinds of tools. So it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready for this. I'm holding on to my butt that this thing is going to be meta breaking and it's going to be really good. Meta breaking. Uh, Come on. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think you, everyone's under playing that. Like, I, I think this thing is going to be at least one in every list that a uh, Republic was. Wow. Yeah, I think the Republic list probably becomes two Jedi and an N one as opposed to two Jedi and an arc. Like um I see them I don't know. For me I see them like completely replacing arcs. Um at least if you're gonna like as as filler, I suppose. Um I it's hard for me to say that at this stage. I mostly the only thing I've keyed in on with the N one right is all the named pilots or most of the named pilots seem pretty good, and they don't have like initiative dependent abilities. Like it's weird yeah. that Padme has no, it just doesn't have to worry about moving first. It just points at something and works right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big deal. And then Anakin has a force charge, so you know, is he just going to be Ezra? Probably not. Um, and then mostly. We we've talked at length about full throttle in the past. How free free tokens are good. Free yeah. free tokens for doing a thing that most other ships aren't rewarded for completing. Right. right. Can we literally just take a second though and like acknowledge that FFG made a pilot based after a meme that he what has the barrel? Yeah, like it's just they were literally just like okay, there's literally if we have young Anakin, that's what we have to do, and that's what they did, and. I guess kudos. I mean, that I know, it's, it's a good trick. Like, uh, all right, spin, so it's a you might as well. Do you guys remember Sabine in an attack shuttle? Do you remember yeah. how that was actually useful? Um, this isn't the same thing, but it's 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 not a terrible initiative count. And we like we were just talking about Snap Wexley, right? Like, don't sleep on mid initiative, relatively mobile ships that can fit a role. You know, sure. Yeah. Especially if they have any amount of defensive capability, and um, you know uh, Sabine and the attack shuttle certainly did. Uh, Snap does just with the sheer HP, and 
I, I'm assuming that Anakin with the combination of an evade and a force charge will be useful. Yeah, I'd be interested to a see lot, if he gets a lot of dice, it's a lot of free dice mods. Uh, yeah. yeah, it'd be interesting to. to uh, do they have a evade on there? I'm sorry, like a link to an evade? Well, they just no, get it from full throttle. Sure. Right, right, right. But I'm saying, um, okay, yeah, I they, don't think they have any link to Right, I, I was looking for not debris. Well, I guess he wouldn't have a EPT. He would have a force for debris gambit. Yeah, so never mind. That's at the window. Cool. All right. So anything else that you guys want to talk about this before we move on? Anything excited? We'll come back to it later. I Mostly I'm excited just to have the N1 in the game, right? Um, I think in a future episode we can break down in more detail the type of impact we think it'll have on Republic List and that kind of stuff. Well, of course we're going to have to do it because it's going to break the meta, like I said. So, <laughs> Yeah, when we get points, I think. All right. It's, so It's so hard to talk about it without points. Right. But let's go on to what is not breaking the meta. So we went from 15 <laughs> minutes to five minutes on this. Uh, whoever. So I, I've done some testing with Talonbane. I know, Chris, you've done some testing with Talonbane. Zach, have you, you put him on the table? I have, unfortunately, put him on the table twice. So I really wanted to try to find a silver lining with Talonbane. And he's got some good benefits. I've won some games with him. I've lost a lot of games with him, um, but we're going to go over just a couple things of why we think he's good and definitely why we think he's bad. Uh, Chris, you want to kick this off? Sure. First of all, whose idea was it that we would all test Alan Bane? The internet's. Maybe okay. mine. Andrew. It's just it was a terrible Andrew. idea. It was just yeah, I blame him. I'm messing with him. So I, I guess at the top, right? Like We, we all kind of got out of the way that we're just making fun of Talon Bane, right? Um, but for the rest of the conversation, just let's focus on what makes the thing useful, right? Like, we know it's a meme, but let's try to focus on, ta- like, what components of Talon Bane are useful and what where the nuance is and how to make it work. Because um, at minimum, it's an initiative 5, right? With uh, 6 HP, and it's got 3 attack dice, right? So there's some, there's some useful components there right off the bat. Um, However, I think we're used to taking a 50-ish point ship like Wedge or Suntier or both 52 and getting a huge amount of value out of them, like possibly more value than they're costed, which will enrage a lot of people. But it, it's not its not ridiculous to say that Wedge and Suntier might be slightly under-costed, right? I don't expect them to change, but they definitely could, and FFG wouldn't be crazy to do that. Um, so then you look at Talonbane, who's 50 points, and you get basically nowhere near that amount of value um, You know, for... for for pretty close to the same cost. Um, so the very next thing you compare it to is Thane, who's resting at 48 points. Um, and I think an X-Wing is a slightly easier thing to use than a Karaz fighter for reasons we're, we're about to get into. Uh, but before we go into all the details, right? Right now, Talonbane is being used essentially as I-5 filler at 50 points with Fearless, right? Add Fearless to go to 53. Is there a point cost where you guys stop making fun of Talonbane? And what what would it be? Is it Fane's cost? Or is it a B is it Braylon's cost? Forty seven? If you um, put him to forty six, I think he would be And is that crazy? Like is forty six an insanely cheap amount to pay for an I five? Like that's it just raises a bunch of questions. Yeah. No, no I don't think so, because it doesn't make him any more survivable or efficient. It like, doesn't fix his bad dial. But and remember, it doesn't fix his bad die. Yeah, yeah. But I'm going to play devil's advocate, right? Like, remember, <laughs> initiative five is survivability. Initiative five is like extra HP on a ship because it means like Braylon gets to shoot 
a couple of times because he's you know eight HP. So some portion of that HP is equivalent to getting initiative five, right? Along with all the other benefits. Um, no, it just means you so get like, one shot before you die. That that kind of matters, right? Because I get that shot before I die, whereas Braylon is going to get to shoot the first turn and maybe die the next turn, right? Either way, I get the shot that I wouldn't get otherwise. True. Um, I I don't know. So like it like initiative five just is good, right? I don't have to I don't have to defend that too much, right? No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, they so can then, make him initiative seven, and he'd still be bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, so then let's get into that, right? So he's got um, he's got an awkward dial. Let's cover that first. Like the Karas fighter, it it's an X wing that can't go slow unless you attack in a perpendicular direction, right? Because it's got a hard two or hard one and one banks, but it doesn't have the one forward. So that makes it weird, right? Because we're used to going like opponent. But maybe the Karaz fighter needs to not do that in order to to kind of set up the range that Talonbane wants. Because Talonbane gets the extra agility, right, at range 3. It's just super hard to stay at range 3 with the damn thing. Right, and, and I think that's one, one of the things that, I mean, I have some notes here about that I'll talk about at the end. But, I mean, it's you do get that extra agility at range 3, but it's one of these ships that you never kind of, you always want to have at range 1. Well, so let's get into that, right? Maybe... Like, is the right way to play Talonbane to, to try to engineer an initial engagement at range 3, however that works, so you're at much less risk of being put down to 1 HP or 0, <laughs> right? And then the next turn be at range 1, because it's too fast to do that. You know you know what I mean? Like, like is that the way to approach Talonbane? Um, I guess none of this matters with Ketsu, but like... <clears throat> I'm getting a little nuanced here, right? But like, like you kind of get get where I'm going there, which is like, are there tricks we could do to get Talonbane to definitely attack from range three? No, I mean, so like, all right. So I think the only benefit from being at range three is in that initial gauge. If like you aren't facing torpedoes or something like that, because they have a missile slot, and they because they have a missile slot, there are no good missiles that they can take that like want to be shooting at range three. Um, where so like if. The only benefit I found with that range three is that initial engage where you know you can't zoom into range one that like might give you that added defense if you know you're going to be in a firing arc this first turn. That range three is the only benefit is in that opening initial joust. Like other than that, like I yeah. never found a use for it. Um, I mean, obviously, if you're running away and all that other stuff, sure, it's useful. But I mean, I, I've always kind of when me testing it, I've tried to make sure he's range one at all times, and like that's when I got the best results out of it. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you, Andrew. And I think if you get one range one engage with Talonbane, you start to feel like he's paying for his 50 points, right? Because because you're throwing five dice, and that like it has a really good chance of swinging a game slightly, right? right. Um, so I, I do think that the defensive portion of his ability, you hit the nail on the head. I, I think it's for the initial engagement. Because it's unless you slap afterburners on here, right? Which at this point you're investing in Talonbane. Like is, no yeah, one's yeah. going to advise you to invest in Talonbane. Yeah. Right. But like, like if you're if if it's it's just really hard to get the range one immediately. Like that's not how engagements work, especially with a ship that doesn't have a boost and only can do a four forward. So you kind of have to try to get the range three followed by the close shot, unless you're attacking from an angle that's completely vulnerable for your opponent, right? 
where you you know you're flanking with Talonbane now, and Talonbane is being outright ignored, which maybe is his sweet spot. Like people hate, like they just think so low of him that he can be ignored, and he'll eventually get range one. Right. And, and like so, like speaking on like afterburners, like with Ohm not having the three turn and only three banks, it, like it really limits him of where like. Of that flank, like he, if he wants to like go up the side of something and like then needs to turn in, he can't do it. Like if he was able to like do the three turn and then the th- the one bank in with the afterburners, it would be a lot more helpful. Where I think with this one turn, he has a lot easier chance of let's say staying at range one and just doing like one turns and like the barrel rolls if he needs it. Um, and like I said, that's kind of really where he shines, but. At that same time, you know, he's not fanning getting that extra defense dice at range one, and if need be, he's just blowing up. Right. So this transitions, though, into the topic we talked about a little while back, which was just the last episode talking about Hera, right? Like, you need to evaluate ships based on the role they play in your list, not based on what you think they are or what other ships are, right? So, like, we've seen Talonbane be functional in the Ketsu lists because Ketsu somewhat solved Talonbane's awkward dial problem of not being able to get things at range one, right? I mean, it's like, there's there's a role for Talonbane to play, which he's not strictly a meme. And I, I it's like Fearless Afterburners is like YOLO Talonbane, right? But like, that's just for a casual night. Who the hell's going to run that? Um, so if I even putting Fearless on him without Ketsu nearby, like, if Talonbane's on his own crack shot, you know, maybe Lone Wolf, if he goes down in cost, because then you can guarantee his offense. I mean, I... I that I, range I, three starts to look a lot nicer. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I mean, like, my... The, I've messed around. I put Lone Wolf on him. I put Fearless on him. I think... I mean, Predator really kind of works decently, especially hard, with... Though. Yeah, it, it is hard, but I mean, like, when you do get it, you get it, and it, it hurts um, getting those five dice... Especially if you're going up against large base ships at all. I mean, like, he just shreds any kind of shuttle um, with it. So, like, and because he doesn't have these linked actions at all, he can then opt in for the focus instead of a target lock and still, you know, try to do as much damage. Right. So, I, I honestly, when I've run him, he's felt best with Lone Wolf. I've, like, he's felt the most useful with that card because people want to ignore him i just set him out somewhere he goes on a little bit of an attack run if they turn at him he's out of range and he can roll his way out of it right like but it's it's at this point it's ridiculous to run a 55 point down band sure so he comes down you might consider it um but you're not throwing like rockets on this thing <laughs> no i mean all right so like when i was testing him a lot i was i went 52 points and then i just to see how it went like i put I fully loaded them up. I went Predator, I put Afterburners, I put Shield Upgrade, I put Hull Upgrade, and Contraband Cybernetics on them. Just the, so what, what is that, like 70 something? What's the something? Star Wars quote? What's that Star Wars quote? Something, like, it's, something it's a trap. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, no, I, I just wanted to see, because, like, I, I, they gave me three mod slots, so I was like, let's let's try this all. Like, And he lived. He, he did live a long time and like it was harder to push damage through on him but like there was certain instances where he just died within like the second round of combat and like that felt bad like so it's one of those things that it's like it's if or like 
is it this or is it that? Like, I I wouldn't I wouldn't say my win loss ratio was fifty fifty with them because it was probably definitely higher in the loss ratio. But I mean, like just strictly testing him that fully loaded up, it was not so. I would rather just take Fen. Yeah. Like but but we could say definitively that's a terribly dumb idea. Oh yeah right? yeah yeah. Like, <laughs> like it's fun, but like that's not that's not the that's not a relevant down main it never will be right and, and like i said i mean like I, I think the best i had with him was going up against any kind of shuttle or um something that like just was equally bad at repositioning than he was that like i could know where they're gonna be and he punished it for that like i mean like i went up against an upsilon with it and like he knew where the upsilon was always gonna be and like he could just come that five dice really did do its damage because it I could trigger things like Predator and all these other fun tricks. Where And then at the same time, he had the crazy amount of health that he could survive that range 3 shot, even if it was a blank out or something like that. Um, yeah. With that being said, though, I mean, uh, there's going to have to be some better mod slots that come out for these things or like some kind of title or something that gives them a linked action of some sort. Well, no, so, so that's kind of my point, though, right? Which is, like, not every ship has to be, like, super steroid Kylo Ren or Anakin. Like, like this thing's sweet spot is to be the Thane of the Scum Faction. And a slightly, you know, slightly more, you know, maybe potentially dangerous Thane at range one. Uh, I, 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 think, I think with just a couple of point adjustments, you're going to start seeing this crop up as, like, legitimate I-5 filler. We we have plenty of examples of that, right? Like Duchess is, Duchess is incredible as I five filler, right? Yeah. Um, that's that's what this thing can be, and it, it, it at, there's going to be a point cost at which it it's logical, um, and then people have to start looking at it and trying to figure out this damn dial because it's just you want to run it like an X wing and you can't. <laughs> yeah. Like that, well, that's the frustrating part. So yeah, like like going into the dial, like I mean, I Talonbane isn't the only Kyrex that I've put on the table. I mean, I've put on Graz, I've put on Justero, um and, and like Graz is really really cool in concept that if you get behind them or if they're behind you, you get to roll an extra dice, which is awesome, but like it's hard. Like I mean, like you want to try to set up this flank and you kind of want to set up like these other targets to be like you either have to fight Graz or you have to fight the entire other list or something along those lines and like it's the awkwardness of this dial like it made it really hard to do that because it's fast but it's just like not fast enough and the maneuverability of like two turns and one turns wanted to be tight like it wants to be in that fight and like if it had the x-wing dial i think it would definitely be a little bit better like just get away get those one's out of there and i think put the threes in there i think it would i would probably take it a little bit more well so 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 that's something that like it's hard to talk about right but the 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 hard one turn instead of a one forward and the three turns um that's kind of what i was trying to get at with the perpendicular approach to the initial round of combat which is if you want to go slow with this thing you cannot be pointing at the thing that you want to eventually shoot at like right. that's the bottom line because if you the one bank is a fast move right it's not actually that slow so you know it just like i, I ran f- uh, five cartel marauders today right and that thing was moving like you know vultures basically because i i didn't want to get that close that soon so you know it's there's just a lot to get used to with this ship and i've missed the 5k turn i think they used to have a 5k turn 
and now they have a 4K. Um, yeah, the so that, five, that awkwardness gets punished yeah. further by that. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say the 5K was a really interesting option for them, um, and I'm I'm upset that they yeah. don't have it anymore. It made it very easy just to you know do a bunch of stupid things with that weird kind of dial, and then you could just kind of 5K your way out of it, right? Yeah. Um, and then like it, it leads into a whole conversation around will FFG do something very stupid to the contraband cybernetics costing, right? Is that coming down in cost? And will Scum get its own version of Leia soon? Um, that 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 I'd have my kind of eyes on if I'm thinking in terms of this chassis and many other chassis in Scum, right? Which as soon as I can start K-turning and have a focus at the end of it for really cheap, um, I think this whole conversation changes. Like like Talon Bay then becomes, you know, like imagine if I gave you a two-point uh, contraband instead of five points, right? <laughs> Dengar can make right-hand turns and still have mods. <laughs> God. All right. Um, so let's let's wrap this up about Talonbane. Uh, Zach, did you have any comments of Talonbane before we move on? Uh, the only one that I had is I still at some point want to run Talonbane with cloaking device and stealth device and go for the sweet magical seven green dice obstructed range three defense. Please take pictures when it happens. That's awesome. <laughs> So all the way I figured out to get up to seven greens. So <laughs> <laughs> that sure. used to be possible with Ewings in first edition, right? I think one of them could do that. I forget which one. But. Something silly. So let's move on. We I, I got my fifteen minutes of talking about Kyraxes. <laughs> uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about jousting because you know people play X-wing. They want to joust. They want to you know that's you blow things up like that's how you do it and that's like the easiest way to do it so we're going to talk a little bit of you know your jousting your opponent's jousting you identify that you cannot win this joust like you always hear the saying that when two people are jousting each other one of them is wrong one person is wrong so like we want to like sit here and like take a look of like how we can identify like you identified that you cannot win this joust and you brought a jousting-esque list we want to like our opinion of what you can do to win this game now yeah so just before we get into a whole bunch of different scenarios here um one thing i think a couple of basics to get out of the way i think most of this conversation is going to be about your opponent has decided to joust you and you now have the choice to either joust them or do something besides jousting them right like you know that they're they're lining up to joust, so just start that as a baseline for the conversation, right? Because if if we talk about games where both opponents are like kind of playing the game and not like just playing a different game than that, and they're they're fully dispersing, it's going to get a little too confusing. Um, so as as kind of like bedrock for this, right? Your opponent is jousting. We we have a choice. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So then a couple other basics um, before you go into a game. You should be on Gate of Storms, which is this incredible fan-made tool, figuring out what your list can joust and what it can't. And you should look at each individual ship in your list and understand how many shots it can defend against, right? And how many shot, how many, how much HP and agility com- like com- combined together is going to prevent you from killing that ship reliably, right? These are all things that you can know before a game, and you can know them against basic archetypes. Like, I should know if my list can take one agility and eight HP down. That's more likely to matter in today's game because of B-Wings, B- right? 
And I actually also should know if I can do meaningful damage at range two to th or three to Braylon, who's got infinite rerolls, right? These are all things that you kind of have to sit down and figure out before the game. We're not going to talk about all of them because it's like, it's just the basics. It's just stuff that everyone can do and most people don't. No, so I, I don't know if you guys do that before tournaments, but have you ever just gone through like the top, you know, ten archetypes and figured out what ships in that list you can kill and which you can't? Um, I'm not gonna lie, I haven't because when I well, okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say I haven't because I've done that before, and every time I do it, I never come across it in the tournament, so I stop doing it. <laughs> but you have a very good point. Um, that especially in like hyperspace mode, you will start seeing a lot more. Um, of, and it's yeah, yeah, but it's not, and it's not about specific lists even. Like I'm talking about is like you should have Ships. a general idea of, of agility HP combinations. If what and like what your list needs to engineer to do meaningful damage to that, sure. right? And then on the reverse, you should have a good idea of how many different, you know, three dice focus shots or two four dice focus lock shots, you know, your your ship your sh individual ships can handle, because then that gives you some idea as to where they should be positioned. If you're not basing that off of anything, then you're not really playing the game. Sure. And, you know, again, you can also just pick up a list that does this on average well, and you never have to think about it, and that's totally cool. Like a lot of people do that, and I get it; it's fine. Um. Like meaning, like if you pick up a jousty list that is just by its nature durable and does good damage, then you have to think about this less. So, like rebel beef. Sure, <laughs> right? Because it's it's by its nature, it's gonna you know on average just kind of do what I'm talking about a little bit better, right? Right. Soak up damage and deal damage. Right, right, right. I mean, that's exactly what it is. Is is it does the one four do a victory and it basically wants to joust things? Um, yeah. And then, like, yeah, I guess, like, the topic of what we're getting at is, like, you know, when who wins in that fight, like, a Rebel Beefs uh, or, like, a TIE Swarm shooting an I-5? Um, so, yeah, but, like, right. if you are playing either end of that, you kind of have to, like, look, like, sure, the, the TIE Swarm basically has three agility and three hull each, which, but then you throw Iden in there, and that could be a completely different thing. Um, and, and you might have to accept sacrifices along those lines um, to do that. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I, we can move on from this topic, but I really just need to reemphasize, like, there are some players who are, you know, like, there are a lot of nerds that play this game, and a lot of them are good at math. So there's a lot of players who, like, you know, walking up to a table can make some reasonably good assessments of their opponent's list and kind of do that on the fly. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of those players, right? Like, most of us aren't. So, like, the simple legwork of just getting really comfortable with you know the basics of, of feeling that out for your list specifically just makes it so that you you generally make the right call right right um and it's it's sort of binary right like you're going to look at a list across from you and you know you should be able to know like i probably shouldn't joust mm -hmm. that um but base that on something that's all i'm saying definitely um so moving on from that right i think you then get into the the next simple basic thing which is you hear a lot of people, and we've said in the past, don't like. Why does everyone joust? Don't, don't always joust. The trick is that like jousting is a part of the game, and jousting is correct a huge amount of the time, right? So what we're about to get into is really, like, it's. It, it don't take away from this that you should never be jousting because if you walk walk into any game of X Wing and never joust, you're probably going to lose a lot of games of X Wing. You're going to flank in a really stupid way, and you're probably going to lose a game that you could have won faster. 
Definitely. Yeah. Um, that's one of the biggest things is like I will try to figure out like if my list can joust another list and kind of read my opponent to see if they are going to. Like, uh, so, like, someone lines up right across from me, and, like, I kind of, like, sit there and look at it, and I'm expecting them to do the one turn away right off the bat, but, I mean, if they don't, like, I feel like I made the right call right then and there that, you know, they're going to, you know, throw one ship at me, and it's like, okay, fine, like, the rest of that list can go do whatever they want, or even the whole list if I know I can outjust it. Right. So, uh you know, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but I actually want to skip past turn zero and rock placement. That's um, fine. <laughs> like, I just, I just want to go right by it because I think, I think turn zero and rock placement has been talked about a lot. Um, the bottom line is that if someone lines up directly across from you or lines up in a way that they're positioned to go through a lane to point directly at your entire list, they're probably going to joust you, right? So, like, everything we're about to talk about would be informed by rock placement. But let's ignore it for the moment. We, it will always play a role. Um, but just just turn zero and rock placement, setting that aside, the more interesting topic for me is turn one, right? Like, to me, that's where you get that immediate indicator as to what your opponent's doing. And so the normal thing for opponents to do is to do a one forward so you have no idea or to self-bump within the rules so you still have no idea, right? But if they self-bump, you kind of might get a clue that they want to joust. Because usually when they do that, they're either doing it to see where you go to kind of get some positional advantage. But if it's an upsilon, if it's two upsilons bumping, you better believe they're trying to set up a joust. Right? Yeah. If, if, if Zach lines up against you and he's facing away from you, yeah, he might be trying to negotiate a joust. <laughs> <laughs> um, Zach, no so, comment But that, on that turn one is, is what I want to get into. Like, <laughs> Zach, how often have you seen your opponent do a one bank and you're like, yep, I know where you're going? Uh, far too often. Uh, and but why is that, right? Because it's you can sort of see the momentum of where their list is going to start carrying them, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, my strategy, even when I do decide to joust, is always to wait and see what my opponent's going to do first, and then figure out where I'm jousting. Not be the one that commits to the joust first. So you don't want to commit to a lane early, right? But why why don't you want to like commit information about the lane that you're going to try to have the, the joust happen? Because you're like you're the perfect person to talk to, right? You're the enemy. You're the you're the four B wing jouster, so if you if you tell me as the aces joust because I run a lot of ace joust lists which are like the most degenerate thing imaginable but we'll set that aside, <laughs> right? Um, like you line up with four B wings and you give me the information as to what lane you're going to joust through. What happens that game? That gives you the power to decide if you're going to opt into that joust or not. Exactly. Yeah. You, like basically, you've just immediately told me, all right, well, I'm going to go flank here instead of here essentially um and then it's all about momentum of like the first first two turns really it all happens then um there's some alternatives to it though so i i there's there's a lot of specific lists you could talk about but like a a tie swarm is another really good example because the tie swarm might do a five straight to go to a specific spot to force a joust in a specific lane when it does that five straight you immediately know something right that you can take advantage of most of the time, it's going to run hard. <laughs> yeah. Right. But uh, Yeah, no, definitely. I think if you're not lined up across the, that tie swarm and they're doing the, the five straight, then they're definitely just trying to set up that lane. The, the, the lane right. that they find most beneficial to them. 
Right, right, right. And then so like once they've done that first move, you start thinking immediately about Okay, well they they've moved in that direction. I still have no idea where they want the engage to happen, but you pick two or three spots on the board where they probably want the joust to occur. And then the next turn, which is turn two, they move again and hopefully you haven't committed in such a way that you now have more information about the exact engagement zone. And that becomes more and more clear as you get closer to the first engagement, right? Um, so this is all a bit wordy, but it's just basically like, I think there's an underdeveloped knowledge base around turn one and two. Like we've, we've had article after article written about turn zero, but no one talks about turn one, right? And that's because it's really hard because you kind of have to feel it out and there isn't a good language for having the conversation. Um, so the rest of this conversation, I think needs to be specific joust scenarios. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. Okay. So let's go to the first easy one which is I put my jousty list in the corner. You put your less jousty list in the other corner. We immediately one bank towards each other and we do five forwards and joust in the center of the board. Have we jousted? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. So one of us is wrong. That was stupid. Let's move on. I don't like this scenario. It's stupid. <laughs> right. Right. Like, like that's, I mean, you know, essentially it's, it's better than we can, we can get one thing out of the way, which is if the list that was bad at jousting flanks with something, right. And then par jousts partially with the better jouster, then that was a mistake. So that's useful information for people to hear, but that's, that's all that we can really can say about this scenario. Um, so the next one is part of my list is going to stay kind of opted into the joust. And my opponent at this point is making their intentions clear, right? They're jousting. So now I have a choice to take one of the ships in my list and do something else. What is that typically? Move to a flank, right? Right. Um, so when the, what is this benefit? The benefit of this, I, I mean, from my perspective, is that you're basically forcing your opponent to choose there. Exactly. Right, like you know, based on the way that the first two turns have played out, which require much more conversation and explanation. But let's say you are at the point where you can kind of start to to reasonably feel out that the the opponent is going to joust. You pick something in your list that's good at flanking to flank. Do you pick something that's terrible at flanking to flank? No, right. And that's basically ba a, a dependent on mobility. So you want the thing that's most likely to be able to escape from the opponent calling you on it hmm. flanking which is why half the time right when we see flankers they're mobile aces that sure. doesn't mean that's the only type of ship that can flank though you can also send a ship that if it gets called on the flank and takes a bunch of shots it it's fine right and that that's high hp it's high initiative whatever it is in a weird way braylon's actually a remarkably good flanker depending on the list people don't think of him that way he's a jouster but because of a range three ability to take no damage at all, right? He he actually is a pretty reasonable flanker. It's just that he commits his intentions. He can't he can't be squirrely at all. There's no reposition there, right? Other than the barrel roll. All right. Um, so it gets back to that range one to two problem, which is like as the flanker, you're communicating to your opponent all of these kind of things. Which is if you flank too fast, when they call you on the flank. You are, they're going to engage entirely with that thing, and you're, the rest of your list that was going to be jousting won't be there to make the sacrifice worth it. Um, and that, that's, that comes down to speed and how well you know your list and how it flies together. So if you don't know, like, if I do a kind of five straight along the edge of the board with Kyle, hard one turn in and do a five forward, while the rest of my list did, like, a three bank three forward, 
what area of the board that is reasonably going to target. That just means you haven't practiced your list enough. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to feel that out subconsciously. And that's the cool part about X-Wing, right? So I, I, I'm going on a bit of like a, a, a kind of like winding conversation around this, but I think the, the range, the turn ones and one and two is, is a huge part of this. The flanking and getting called in a flank, but being in a position to make that sacrifice worth it or have an escape route is sort of like, that's basic. Not picking the wrong thing to joust with is also pretty basic. Here's a scenario that we see all the time, though. Two, two opponents line up against each other. Both of them start circling the board, right? <laughs> like, I turn left, you turn left, right? And we both just walk around the edge of the board for about 30 minutes, and then one of us gets super bored. What happens? Uh, you know, I, I see this happen more than I like to admit. And, you know, you the... It, when one person gets bored, they turn in, and you basically just joust in the middle. But, like, I've always wanted to just kind of see, like, this – say, like, this happens, and one person turns to the right. And it, it literally does always happen like this, that they just go to the other side, and they turn into the middle. But, like, I want to see someone actually, like, go around and, like, try to catch them on the flank that way. Like Just, force... just keep circling? Yeah, like, exactly, because, like, like <laughs> one of those ships is faster than the other, and someone's going to be doing it. But, I mean, uh, it, it, no, I, I this is – the dumbest aspect of X-Wing that you waste like 30 minutes like doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny on stream too, right? Because yeah. like the whole, the whole Twitch stream's watching, right? And then you get like, you know, two opponents will circle and circle for 30 minutes and then will they will get back to where they started and, and diagonal joust. Like that's the funniest one, right? Because they like, <laughs> like literally a complete 360. I don't know if that's ever happened on stream. Um, it'd be funny sure. to, to, to try and look one of those up. Uh, but in between, though, Andrew, you're starting to get to it, which is that both lists aren't identical. They lo- they move at different speeds. The elements within the list move at different speeds, which means one of them can break off and do something different, right? Like, it's not super complicated. You have to feel it out. But when, when, the, when you get into this kind of, like, death spiral with an opponent where you're both just circling the rocks, one of those opponents is eventually going to have a more exposed flank than the other. Or they might overextend a portion of what they're attempting to circle with. So they're probably not in a box formation at this point, right? They're probably fairly well distributed. Going off of what you were just saying about like um, being like overextended, me and Jonathan had this conversation a little bit back that like you might. All right, so I'm not completely dissing this, like just circling and then jousting in the middle, but like the rule of eleven still exists no matter which side that you end up on. And you might be able to call your opponent that like if you put your uh ships in a certain position on one side on the side of the board and turn in, you can still practice that rule of eleven, like kind of knowing where you are, like let's say on like a rock uh setup that you can still try to set up these kill boxes or not kill boxes, but like threat zones and try to understand those threat zones and your opponent might not know exactly what you're doing. So, I mean, that, that is something that like you might want to consider, but like, I, I think more experienced players would probably be able to call you on that as well. Right. So rule of 11 is really interesting to bring that up, right? Which is that it's, this is another thing like turn zero, which I think has been talked to death and it's useful and it makes sense. And, but it's like, there, there's very specific scenarios where it's relevant. Um, it's the straight on joust or like the circle turning into a straight joust, right? Like it's it's very difficult to to use the rule of 11 as soon as things move to an angle, right? Like that's right. an area where where we it, it kind of breaks down. So when everyone's perpendicular at some point, it, it, like it, it, it 
you know, eventually you turn and you face each other directly, then you start doing that. It's a skill that should be practiced, but I think it's it's also an item that's maybe like in, in this circle circle kind of death spiral that we've been talking about, what you mentioned about um, rock location, giving you hints as to ranges becomes more relevant, I think. Definitely. Um, like corner rocks and all of that. But but the more the more important thing for me though is that you're not measuring anything specifically. You're just looking at the one ship that they kind of let straggle. Like it's it's sort of like if you've ever watched like a nature, you know, show, right? Like the wolves go after like the one thing that is is away from the herd, right? Like that's what it becomes. It usually just becomes a joust, anyways. But if one of the players is playing attention, they look for the straggler, right? Or they look for the thing that's just run a little bit too far ahead. Um. So part of this topic that like I. I exactly what you were saying was when I was flying the robots, I was constantly going up against things that like the barrage bombers when they were like popular with Jonas. And it really came down to is like for me knowing of something that I couldn't jazz. So they were fast enough that I knew that I could do something like this circle aspect and I could maybe possibly catch, like I'd wait for them to K turn or something, but I'd be able to catch one of the bombers that like was just in my range or like, and started having like the no mods. So yeah, like that is something that you absolutely can do is catch one of these stragglers off guard. Like, you know, one of the ones that are on the outside and don't really have the position they need to set up these jests. Right. And so, so I know I said, I wouldn't talk too much about rocks, but this is a scenario where rocks become critical because they define where your opponent becomes vulnerable. Right. And it just makes the boost action become something that's so much more valuable again, right? Which is that when you have that boost action on a, a faster ship, you, you can you can see that, like a lot of times it happens, right? Is you see an opponent playing KG, you're playing KG, you know that you could take advantage of it somehow, but your ship is not fast enough or able to reposition in a way to take advantage of it. Um, and that can be frustrating, right? Because it's like you just kind of miss your opportunity and end up in a joust. <laughs> right. But... But like most of us are not doing that. Like we're almost all flying aces, right? Like it's it's pretty rare um, that you know you don't have an ace somewhere in your list. Um, the only so moving ace off the death spiral. Me. I'm sorry, again. God dang. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so Talon, like we, we were just bashing Talonbane. Part of the reason that Talonbane's bad is because he's bad at this. He can't boost. Yep. Right. Uh, he just yeah. gets caught out. He becomes the awkward thing that's sort of the straggler, and he can't take advantage of the ones that are. And, and that's just it's almost its own subtopic right but i definitely the kind of thing where I, I also need to emphasize that doing this isn't necessarily wrong i've had plenty of games where i've noticed my opponent just completely disengages from me turns left i do the same thing because i know i can kind of i can bait them now right like i you can just have them go to the worst side of the rocks They're, they chose to go there anyways let them do that do that right like you don't have to you don't have to opt out of this i guess is the key so do we want to touch a little bit on uh, direct jousts and, and what those look like? I, I think there's only really two interesting things for me there, which are how how boosting turrets do it and um, jousting with like, you know, a, a trade on joust with a part of your list while the other thing flanks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I definitely want to talk a little bit. Um, you have like the one thing in like talking about like the rule of 11 and stuff like that. Um Let's well, go there, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Let's hit the rule of eleven because the next three scenarios really are are straight on jousts, like actually, truly straight on jousts without any nonsense in between or the diagonal inevitable. Chris, do you can you recap the rule of eleven off the top of your head? Oh, off the top of my head, not entirely. <laughs> no, I actually, to be honest with you, I don't practice it that much because I don't run lists that are yes. direct jousting. Um, 
All right, yeah, so but it means it mostly it's mostly about counting up. I do it with specific things. Right. So I mean, if if two lists line up directly at each other, pushed all the way to the starting line, you have to move a total of eleven ship bases on each side for you to be able to shoot. So it'll be range three once. Um, so like, let's say you have a large base uh, um, lined up at the very starting line of the edge of the board. They, if they go one forward, they have then moved a total of three because the large base is two ship bases. So if the other person goes, you know, let's say you have a five forward um, with a large base. So they do a lot five forward. They are now at a seven. So that is a total of 10 right there. So there's only a measure of one in between before the shooting actually happens. Now, where this becomes super useful, I would say, is when you are going up against lists that, let's say, are using ordnance. Like, you do not want to be caught in that range three bubble at the very end because you're not getting that, like, range uh, bonus for the defense dice. And they're getting it with, and if you're not running, you know, ordnance yourself, then, you know, you're basically shooting back at extra green dice at them so that's what really where the rule of 11 like it becomes so important is because it lets you measure of like stuff like ordinance um distance wise like that like when shooting is actually going to start right unless you jump range if you have to at lower initiatives all these kinds of things right exactly and it's valuable in that elements of your list may may end up in a direct joust even if your entire list isn't you still need those elements in your list to kind of be at an appropriate range. So it's sort of, it's similar to like, it's, it's the basics so that you can, you can kind of, if you have Braylon, get the range three, right? That's, that's kind of where it ends up. Um, but it, like the, the first scenario here, Andrew, right? Is I put my list in the corner, the right corner. You put your list in the direct opposite corner. We fly straight at each other, right? right. What are the elements of control that we have? The rule of 11, moving for blocks right being better jouster right what else <laughs> um no, no that's no. pretty much it right yeah so i mean like like just going on like on the blocks like i mean like both me and jonathan have been like banging out four fangs list and like we've both been flying them a little bit differently like i like to fly my three fang fighters in a little bit of a block where i know he likes to spread his out now like i'm not even talking about fen because fen is absolutely going to be like the flanker in the list but if i was just running the three like the first thing i'm doing is making sure that they are in a spot that they are like far enough away that they should be getting that fourth defense dice at range three and then the very next thing i'm trying to do is blocking with one or even two of them and capitalizing you know with friend coming on the flank so yeah. like yeah i mean like it's very easy for them to do because they have almost a full dial um minus the one banks and the one forwards but they right. can absolutely boost and barrel roll where they need to be which if i ever force a uh, if i'm doing like the banks and everything i'm in a better position that if you're going to be one turning behind me or not one turning i'm sorry uh like doing a k turn behind me i would absolutely take the modded dice over you know the you being the stress and then you you're knowing that you're gonna have to green stress these so it's kind of like i'm accepting that you have to either accept this block or you have to do something else. So, I mean, that's really kind of like where I lean towards it. Yeah, so the Fang Fighters are this awesome example, right? Because, they, first of all, they, they're only as good as the player is at using them, you know, 
for range control properly right right because you have to jump range you can't be caught in the range two band or you die range three is like a little better but it's still kind of really bad right <laughs> um and then you have this extra problem of like if you screwed it up and you need to use the boost to get to range one then you're stressed and you can't engage the next turn and it's the worst feeling ever because you now you're not going to k turn right because then you're at range two again potentially against leia all these problems so practicing the rule 11 with the fang fighter i totally get that yep that's super awesome um moving for the blocks is your only other real variable here right unless you're going to set something off as a flanker you know using that rule of 11 to your advantage to set a block so your list has focus token shooting at the back of their list that's that's the straight joust like variable right that's the other one and then of course there's choices like what do you put out front and what do you put put slightly further back um these are, those are all kind of it's it, it happens like more frequently than I probably give it credit. I don't know the last time when the last time was that I played a game where my entire list though was on one side of the board going straight at the opponent, but I've seen it on top tables quite a lot, and it, it wasn't wrong in those cases, right? Sure. Um, like it's just it, it it happens more frequently than I think I I give it credit for for sure. It seems like a meme, but it really isn't. <laughs> No, not at all. Um, but yeah, like just touching base on that, like I mean, like especially when you have these like high ship count lists, like uh, there's been times where literally, uh, like going on the counter part of that, like I, I mean, I knew I had the joust um, one, and at the same time, it was kind of like my opponent had more ships than me, so I knew anywhere that I could had to go like there there was absolutely a ship there like i i basically needed to disengage completely out of it um and he did a terrific job at doing it too so he did his part and like it really kind of forced that disengage but that's what you really need to do sometimes is just set up like a net of blocks based off of whatever and i mean i would absolutely take the like let's say taking going back to like biophysicals like these threat level zones of maybe taking one or two shots even though you're not shooting back with mods like instead of just getting that block off yeah so so moving slightly beyond then the straight joust um you mentioned fen rao like he's he's the flanker in many cases even though he's kind of sometimes really bad at it because he's very unforgiving um so now we have your opponent has four three or four ships in the corner you have you know two threats i use the term threats i keep saying that in my mind like a lot of if you think about a, a list like Vader, uh, Soontier, and two bombers, right? The two bombers sometimes move in pairs, so that if one of them gets initiative killed, they still get the barrage rocket off. Um, so, like threats in my mind are just kind of like, like just groupings of things that operate as a ship or you know as as a, as a, an arc in the same area. So assume that you have you know two threats that are going to go direct joust on the side of the board, and you set Fen Rao off as the flanker. What happens? Um, you probably try to go quick right because you're going to try and get the the turn in at the jouster um and you you then get into this sort of awkward spot which is they might look at what you have as the jousting element and be like that's not threatening enough for me to care about i'm 100 percent calling the flank all right and then if you haven't decided on an, an option to deal with that ahead of time you probably lose that game <laughs> right like they, if they if they know for sure that your jousting element can't actually punish them um, and then they call you on the flank, and your flanker is not, you know, in Fen Rao's case, in a position to get to range one or go somewhere safe. Then, then there's a serious problem with that engagement. Like you're going to lose, right? And it, this isn't even getting to the complicated thing, which is they might have set one ship off as a flanker. 
I'd ignore that for the moment. Um, so how do you set up options, I guess, becomes the question. How do you set up options for a flanker that's not doesn't have double reposition, this kind of stuff? Um, I, I My would be, like, force them to not, not just... You, they're, you force them to take your joust, like almost like I would hold back that flanker as much as I can until I know that they have to take that joust. Yeah, and, yeah, and so like be, yeah. Fen, Go like going back to Fen, like he's very good at doing that because he has that five forward boost um, into it. So like you can, it's hard to really kind of see when Fen is coming in, but like I mean, if you throw everything at their face that you can, like it's okay that Fen might be taking that range three shot because. They probably don't want to shoot at Fen at range three anyway. Right. So you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, though, right? Like the simplest version of, of keeping your, your safe options open is just to keep your flanker safe, right? Which is to hold it back and, and just allow your jousting element to engage in a, a partial engagement. But that, that has a lot of risk that comes with it. There are a bunch of scum lists that actually do this reasonably well in a lot of cases. But, but it, it then transitions into the next simpler thing, right? Which is essentially options on the flank are engagements where you know your ship won't die or, or really suffer serious consequences. So you don't have to be entirely out of arc, I guess is my point. A flanker that ends up in range of only one attacking ship, that's a successful flank, right? If you ended up in range of two things and you know after doing the Gate of Storms work that like three focused, three, three focused shots aren't going to really punish you, safe might be in arc. So I my point with this is essentially that I think when people are flanking, they assume that the only safe option is not taking any shots at all. I'm hearing bullshit about soon tier, <laughs> right? But it's in reality, it's like you're actually negotiating. A good, good option is just a good trade, and that means a partial engagement with you know fewer, just just the right amount of arcs. Fen Rao is terrible at this because there's no like Fen is just range one where he's dying. Kylo is amazing at this, where Kylo can participate in kind of a partial joust. Zach, you said something interesting last week, which was that you don't think of partial jousts as jousts, right? Like what? Like that? That I think is kind of the heart of this discussion. Why is a partial joust not a joust? Do we lose Zach? We might have lost Zach. No, I'm here. Hey, cool. I think you have a good response. <laughs> and you don't have to have a good response, but like I think just just even that comment is good, right? Because. Um, like partial joust is a term that I've used a lot, uh, but it's not—it's not truly jousting, right? Like you're—you're—you're you're doing something different there. You're playing the game that you want to play. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to like X-wing is a game of jousting in the strictest sense, right? Like inevitably, you are going to be firing at something that is firing at you. So where do like you cut that off? Is like what really is jousting and what is that's just the game and inevitably that's going to happen at some point yeah and like like we overcomplicated to say that like jousting is always bad i think that's the key for me is is that um you know it's better for me to send a, a a high hp high agility silencer into the fight right and engage with part of the list and that might mean that i'm kind of in a jousting posture for for the initial engagement and it might look like a meme on on stream, but there's a lot more going into it, right? T70s do much the same thing. Like T70s get to fight. That's their that's their trick. They're not just jousters, though. If they're if you use them just as jousters, you might like Poe is a good example of this. He's not just a jouster, right? Right. Um, and that's where I think people get into trouble, which is like, well, but he's not also this perfect kind of like arc dodgy flanker in some configurations. 
So then it it fast forwards to like my least favorite thing in the world, which is boosting turrets. Because in this scenario of two ships in a corner, they both line up at each other and they joust. Guess what, guys? Like nine times out of ten, the boosting turret is going to force straight past the joust. If you try to call the flank, all it did was fly by and shoot at you with the rear arc. So your opponent needs to call that joust a hell of a lot sooner, potentially. And the rocks better be in the right spot. Yeah. Because disengaging in that case means shooting. It does not mean it means safety and and you're still taking damage. Go ahead. Oh, I got nothing for that. I was just saying that you 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 really hit the nail on the head with that one. That it's just gonna fly right past you and wave. And say yeah, and like this is gonna happen against like if you've run an upsilon, you know this is gonna happen, right? Like yeah. like Han's gonna blow by you. Lando can do this trick too, right? Because Lando has three blue banks and all that. Um, Meaning, you know, it's just this entire concept of the flanker then changes, and the A-Wings do the same trick. Mechanically, I get why it exists, and there's a price point for it, but it, it does just turn the engagement on its head, right? Which is, you have you have a jousting element, and now your flanker, when going to the safest place on the board, is still in the engagement. That's If you're not taking advantage of that with the YT-1300, you are, you, you're just like, you shouldn't have brought 100 points of it. Yeah, um, let's let's shy away from the thirteen hundred. <laughs> we know, we know. No, it's, no, uh... it's fine. I, <laughs> but but I I think this this engagement though people should be aware of because good players like really really good players that run the Falcon, what they do is they set up, they basically line up like they're jousting you right, and they they will just fly by you. Yeah. Um, I I just see it all the time, and it's like not particularly complicated, right? And it's people get caught on it all the time, like they get surprised by it. Definitely. Um, now, like, what are on the inverse though? Like, what would you say to do against the thirteen hundred that's flying by you? Yeah, so that's like a complicated puzzle, right? Because now your jousting element can't can't be as tight as it was before, potentially, right? It might need to trail in a way. You might need to separate a portion of that off just to set up a wider net. Right. Um, same thing happens with the supernatural aces. So that that transitions into the next thing, which is. You guys are in the same corner, kind of, or like you see your opponent set up in a corner. Instead of kind of that like death spiral that we were describing before, all you do is you just shift your list kind of left, right? And then they're forced to diagonally kind of go after you. And it sets up a more natural flank with whichever ship is furthest away from them. So I, hopefully this is meaningful to the listeners, but you know, the, the past couple minutes we've been talking about being kind of loosely in the middle of the board or directly across from your opponent. Now you kind of transition to someone's in the corner, they're going to joust you probably, you can see that. You deploy spread out far enough that you can kind of have two things turn left, one thing go fast on the flank, and you start building that corner for them to walk into. We've talked about this on previous episodes, but this is the tactic. I don't have a good term for it, but it's the tactic I see most often from good players against players who are jousting. And it, it just works like... It works all the time. It works like a ridiculous percentage of the time. So do you, do you guys understand what I'm describing there? Because this is really important. Like this is like, it's what like top players are doing in, in like a huge number of their games against opponents who don't realize what's happening. No, yeah. I mean, for the listener, I'll probably post this infographic with everyone. If you want to open it up, follow it up. Let's look sure, at right? uh, but, but, Chris's little dude. Yeah, look it up on Reddit or whatever. Who cares? I, but it's, it's basically all I'm describing here is um, that the things closest to the joust go slow turn left right and they they kind of leave their options open in a trailing way while flanker is, is going to the other corner and their opponent kind of stays grouped together in jousting formation as that's happening 
then like each of your your threats can kind of just continually walk and eventually turn in at the time that's appropriate for the range that you want. And you can, you can depending on how much reposition they have, you can kind of respond to everything that happens. If the jouster turns into the thing that was closest, then the two things that were further away go a little bit faster and get a full flank. You know, if, if they turn into the thing that's furthest away, that's actually, you know, looks like the most definitive flanker, then everything else that was closest to them is now flanking them. Uh, so it's it's really basic, but it works very reliably against most kind of box formation things. And it's part of the reason why some of the confusion around Rebel Beef early on, like, right? Because it's just, that's a solvable problem. If people put things in a box, you just set up a corner and you invite them into it. Yeah. Um, so to, to end the conversation, I know I've been going kind of <laughs> warp speed on a lot of these, but it's just because it's an interesting topic. Um, I wanted to hit the the kind of bottom right corner item here, which is that you come up against an opponent who's not going to joust you. This is a topic for another episode, probably. How do you deal with an opponent that you recognize isn't jousting you? The, the worst thing that can happen is he basically recognizes that you're attempting to flank, and they they just realign their entire list, even though they were spread out, into a joust then you need to start panicking because you need to get your flanker in closer to whatever's about to happen this happens a lot which is like you see four ships like set up kind of spread out on your side of the board they do the same thing whatever they do that allows them in the first two turns to kind of like regroup into a more complete joust catches half of your list and then you're just behind um it's the worst thing in the world when you get caught out entirely and then you have like an entire element of your list that doesn't shoot at all yeah i, I mean I, I get exactly what you're saying on this and I, i've seen it happen like you have these two ships that will basically be like out of the fight and i, I mean i've had i've had this happen to me and i've had it on the other side of the table where like if you ever come across this like scenario where like they give up half of their list like take that and run with it like yeah, and you do, you've you've done this to me a number of times, right? Where like you know that I tend to try and play in a kind of not aggressive way, right? Often, so a lot of times, what you know, like I will lose a game because an opponent initially spread out, and they just basically take advantage of that before I'm, I'm I can react. Um, which is like. That, that then becomes a question we were getting back to at the beginning, which is those turns one and two become so critical. Usually that happens when the thing that was closer to that you know threat went one speed faster than it should have, turn one and two. Um, it, it can boil down to something that simple, because that, that one speed can be the difference between your flankers catching up and not. So, meaning, like, don't boost early on for no reason. That's, like, the worst thing you could possibly do. If, if the ship that's closest to the threat of your opponent's list does a one forward and then you just like for whatever reason decide you want to boost because it looks cool that thing's probably going to die it's it, and it just depends on sort of how your opponent laid out but if you're closest to the threat you probably want to be more conservative don't go fast yeah I mean, I mean like really what that does come down to is like setting up these different like heat maps um just because they kind of turn back into this like formation like you should never leave any of your list out for high and dry like uh, if you kind of mess up your flank, like you might have to make up for it in the later round um, to come back in a lot faster. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. 
No, for sure. And like, there's ships that deal with it better than others. Like the like Tabson, I don't care. Like Tabson, I'll just leave him out to dry. And if he engages on his own with my opponent's entire list, like whatever, that's not great. But you know, I can probably make that worth it. Sure. <laughs> um, that, that usually doesn't play out well, but there's some ships that can do this. Um, I, I, you know, will Dangar ever be that ship? Probably not. <laughs> um, so it kind of gets back to where we started, right? Which is you kind of you have to know what each of your ships is capable of doing to know what is incorrect, um, and that that isn't always you know math you do on the fly. It's it's feel that you get from playing a list a lot. Absolutely. I mean, like going into like any major tournament, you should know the ins and outs of your list. And like one of like the strategies that you could do is like set up. Like, I know Tristan, good friend of the show, like, he'll set up practice matches against himself and just use average dice to figure out, like, what he can and can't do. So, like, it would be good to, like, kind of practice against yourself even with, like, different mods or even just setting up on the table across from yourself and, like, seeing what your ships are capable of doing and how they're capable of moving. Even if you don't put asteroids down on the table, like, just seeing if you do like partial flanks or anything like that, like it's really useful to do because a lot of times if you just go to a store on a Thursday night or, you know, Tuesday night, whatever, um, your, your opponent might not, not, I'm not like, you know, downplaying anyone, but like they might not be doing what you need practice with. Like you might see the different things, but like if there's something that you're unfamiliar with, just set it up on the table across from you and do that very thing and see what you can do about it. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the the self practice games thing because that's terrible for you kind of getting you know comfortable with reading the first two turns of a game, right? In general, but it's really good for um, dice for just developing that feel for what you need to avoid. Um, yeah, no question about it. That's that's a good deal. I and if people aren't familiar, I think I think Tristan's blog is called Jousy, something like that. Yeah, it's. You got to check that chart he has out, which makes the calculating the average dice really easy. All right. Um, so, do we have wrapping this up? Do you want to? Yeah, I I think we can wrap up here because I'm tired and I don't really want to talk anymore. Um, <laughs> but but I, you know I think the next topic is to to make it more realistic, which is you know we talked about you know your opponent's jousting, right, and how you react to that and what the options are. The harder conversation is now your opponent doesn't joust, right? What does that look like? How do they line up, and what are those scenarios? Um, because that's like way harder to define, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think if or so, I wanted to like make this topic like you know you you know you're losing the joust and you have to like really play to that you know advantage and like and this is not entirely if you're always bringing like the joust your list, but like I mean like sometimes you have to just adapt to the game how it is yeah yeah like your opponent has agency they're <laughs> they're they're not going to fit into any one of these scenarios that i'm describing at all times right they could take one ship and put it somewhere else on the board and then it becomes you know not a complete joust right yeah. and that that's a very different game yeah definitely cool all right let's start to close out uh just a couple uh, well i'm sorry one day that i have is july 20th i know they announced the hyperspace trials wave two um, so I know FFG, there was a mix up on the initial announcement. It is still going to be July 20th at Top Deck Games. I know originally it said like October 19th, the same weekend as Worlds or something along those lines, but it is at July 20th. I don't think registration is open yet. Well, as soon as it is, we will announce it. 
Um, do we have any shout-outs? I know we usually say that in the beginning, but I know give a shout-out to Mark Myers if you're listening. Um, any other shout-outs for you guys? Yeah, yeah that's it. Shout-out right. to Italy for winning with Rebel Beef again, I guess. Yeah, good job, Italy. <laughs> good job, Italy. Um, all right, so I think that does it for this week's episode. I need to mute this. I don't know why it's on. Um, but, yeah, so... I want to thank everyone for listening. Again, with the Patreon, if you are a fan of the show, look us up there. We'll send you some nice thank you notes. Um, Other than that, I think that's it for this week's episode. And have a good night. Live free, don't joust.